0: On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for thirty-five years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest podcast. Let's get started. Hey, folks, Corey Cupfer here for another solo cast. And this one is on a very topical item that you, I mean, you had to be under a rock or, you know, on a silent meditation retreat somewhere or something if you hadn't heard about it. But it stems from the Silicon Valley bank failure and Signature Bank as well. But, you know, we're not going to talk about the general impact on the banking system and things like that. Although I might mention it, but obviously this is a deals podcast and I want to talk about the impact on deals. And that's not a topic that we've seen a lot about out there because obviously people are much more speaking about the impact on the overall economy and banking system and whether people should pull money out of their banks and FDIC insurance and, and, you know, whether the depositors should have been bailed out, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And those are appropriate topics, but, you know, everything has an impact on deals. We've talked generally in the past about how Changing circumstances, challenging times, you know, can trigger different opportunities and challenges in the deal market. So I really just want to hone in on what's happening here. So obviously, pretty much everybody I'm sure is listening to this podcast knows that Silicon Valley Bank failed within the last couple of weeks. And so did Signature Bank. And and then also, a First Republic has run into some trouble. And then also Credit Suisse. Okay. And there are differing reasons for various of them. And we don't have to spend a lot of time getting getting into those, but the question is, okay, how is that going to impact deals? And what deals are actually even happening already? and 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 there are some that are happening already. So let's look at, for example what happened with First Republic. So Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, they both fail. They're taken over by regulators. The government acts quickly, says we're going to protect all deposits even above the FDIC insurance level. But management's out. And by the way, equity investors and most of the most of the debt holders are not gonna get their money back. Okay. So, well, okay, there is a deal that went bad for the investors, right? There are investors in Silicon Valley Bank and in Signature Bank who You know, have either just bought the stock or invested, you know, uh, on the public markets or invested money significantly. Institutional investors, things like that, at various stages, and that's an investment deal where obviously they were betting on these banks. And due to many would say mismanagement of these banks and other economic factors, I mean, it was interesting. In Silicon Valley Bank's case, it was just a really bad bet on it seems like long-term treasuries and locking in low interest rates when interest rates started, you know, pushing up. You know, and it's and it's interesting how something like that can really, that kind of decision, right, that kind of investment decision can significantly affect the bank. So so it turns out to be a bad deal for those investors. But listen, you know, that is what, when you make an investment deal, it's risk capital. That's, you know, that's frankly what I think it should be. I won't get into the whole conversation about Bailouts from 2008 and, you know, and, 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 and what I think should or shouldn't be in any detail. But I I will just say, and I I put a LinkedIn post in when it happened. I I liked what the government did here in terms of protecting depositors, but not investors because investors are, that's what they are. I mean, they get the upside. You got to take the downside, right? That's, you know, that's the risk of making an investment deal. Okay. So that happens now. First Republic is in trouble from what we hear, right? People start thinking about, do I need to pull my money out of First Republic, right? It could be they want to prevent a run on that bank. So what happens? Well, there's a deal that happens. That it seems, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the, the intention certainly is that it will help save First Republic, not only by providing it with the capital, but also giving the market confidence that the bank is is going to be solvent. Therefore, hopefully preventing people from making a run on the bank in terms of pulling their money out or having the stock price drop too low. Although right now, even though other bank stocks, when I'm recording this, other bank stocks have, have bounced back up. Reverse Republic is not. But this is a deal under which it was led by JP Morgan Chase, but there were there were 10 other banks involved. So it was a total of 11 banks that got together and put in $30 billion, with a B. Dollars, First Republic. Now, I have not seen details of the terms of that investment, what the banks are getting back in exchange for putting in that money. But obviously, there's an economic benefit that's going to come to them in terms of you know that money, whether how that how that was structured and put in, debt or equity, or some combination of whatever it is. But the point is that you know it's interesting to look at what happens in that time of crisis because. The first thing that is I mean, then this was done in days, right? That happens is a deal comes in to attempt to save First Republic Bank to solidify that and again give depositors comfort and hopefully give stockholders comfort. And even more so, you know, one of the other reasons why these eleven banks uh put money is in is to also help create a level of confidence to show up the banking system in general so they wouldn't be adversely affected, right? Now, if you, you know, we often talk about, we always talk about the difference between organic growth and deal-driven growth. There's also the difference between organic, you know, actions in reaction to a crisis and a deal reaction in reaction to a crisis. You know, there's a lot that First Republic could have tried to do in terms of giving assurances, you know, about its financial condition, about you know, continuing to pr- try to provide it, you know, it's interesting. I saw this anecdotal, but you know, I saw I saw a, a, a post or two online of people who who are like very, really love banking at First Republic. They think the customer service is great and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't mean the back end financial condition or the back end in investments, the bank made solid, but they like, you know, they they liked it as a customer, as a, you know, as a client of the bank. And, you know, so they could have tried to play that up. And there's a lot of ways, you know, through marketing and sales and all that kind of stuff that's organic, they could have tried to save it, that there's no way that that kind of effort would have been big enough or timely enough to create anywhere near, I mean, a fraction of the impact of a $30 billion investment from 11 banks that not only shows up the balance sheet of First Republic. But again, shows that there's confidence in the banking market to back this bank and 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 try to stabilize the system as a whole, right? So that's an example where a deal is way more powerful than anything you can do organically, and and there's many many situations like that. And listen, you know, go back to 2008 when J.P. Morgan Chase, you know, got the Washington Mutual as part of the whole you know, that whole thing, right? You know, and and we, again, we've talked about how there are opportunities, you know, deal volume and flow may slow down, uh, especially in changing markets before the market adjusts, but there are always, you know, there are always opportunities that people can take advantage of, companies take advantage of. Well, you know, what J.P. Morgan Chase was able to do we in mutual and get it on the cheap back then, you know, I'm sure that whatever they're getting in exchange for, you know, what they invest in the First Republic is going to be unfavorable terms as well, obviously, because First Republic's in trouble. So there are always firms and I'm, I'm not, a, listen, there are vulture funds that really try to take advantage of companies when they're down. And they would argue that they provide a great service because they turn around these companies that have bad management or whatever. Others would argue that they, you know, a lot of them are just going to rip these things apart, you know, and sell it for the parts and try to make a profit so you can debate that. But there are also good players that come in. And yes, do they get favorable economic terms? Sure, because that's the state of the market at that point. But also there's a benefit to the other side of the transaction because they may have limited or no other options and, you know, other than going out of business. Right. So that, you know, that that shows up there. Now, we've got another interesting thing that happened. Again, what is it? It's a deal. So Credit Suisse is another firm, you know, that was in trouble. Now, they've been in trouble for a number of years on based on various things, which is sad to see. The bank's been around, I think it's 125 years or something. You know, it was a venerable institution, although you know, a lot of those venerable institutions have histories of... <laughs> investing in funding things that we are now, you know, are bad parts of of human history. But, you know, in general, it had a a great reputation for many years. And then a number of scandals hit it before this that adversely affected the reputation of the bank, ran into trouble. And now, you know, what happens is when uh, a company, a bank, you know, any kind of institution or corporation may have other troubles in, you know, in in a good time, they may be able to overcome those or at least balance it out somewhat. Enough to stay in business, but then you add in another, you know, adverse impact, and it puts it over the edge. You know, it's the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. So what happens there? I mean, Credit Swiss could have just totally gone out of business, but no, the 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 government, right, the Swiss government, helps broker a deal between UBS, another Swiss, Swiss bank, you know, the bank of Swiss, Switzerland, right, and Credit Swiss, and uh, and. And 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 what do they get? Originally, I heard you know the price is going to be at about a billion. It was two billion. I think the number that I hear most reported now is three point two billion, and it was I think I believe also reported as a stock deal, not an equity deal. So uh, UBS didn't pay any cash, but they but they're buying in exchange for stock. So that is an opportunity, obviously, for UBS to consolidate. I mean, th- those were the two biggest banks in the country to really you know consolidate and take advantage of this situation and again what happened there i mean a deal happened without a deal credit swiss would probably just be gone all right and i'm not saying that the investors in credit swiss got a you know got a great result but but the portion of that 3.2 billion in stock they get is better than they then they would have gotten on the alternative so let's take a break from the show for a minute so i can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness i created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com assessment. That's coreycupfer.com assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. There's another deal that happens, right, in this kind of market. So w- let's talk about the some things in the deal market generally and the impact on this, because I was talking very specifically now about the deals that happened that were triggered specifically by these bank failures and or challenges that, for example, First Republic and Credit Suisse had, but there are impacts on the overall deal market as well, right? So first of all, let's look at bank deals and bank stocks. Um, So, and bank deals, so so bank deals had slowed down significantly at the end of 2022 into 2023 here. And I'm talking about, you know, buying and selling of banks. And those happen pretty frequently, you know, whether it's full banks, whether it's branches, whether it's, you know, different parts of banks. The volume had slowed already on that because of, you know, various concerns about. Uncertain conditions, obviously, hiking interest rates, cost of capital, things like that, the economy being shaky. So, already bank deals have slowed. Now, there is, you know, I've read some things out there, American Banker and others have put other stuff out there saying that this is even going to cause the deal market to slow even more. And that's likely correct because in a time of uncertainty, um, the deal markets tend to slow in all areas. And certainly, you know, in a the most certainly uncertainty <laughs> right now is within the banking sector itself. So you would think that there are much more people are going to wait and see how it plays out. Certainly, even if deals are going to get done, they're going to move much more slowly, much higher levels of. I mean, you know, you should be doing detailed due diligence anyway, but obviously, when you're looking at doing a deal in a sector that's in crisis, you're even going to heighten your due diligence, which means more more time, you know, involved in in doing that. Um, so I think that's probably right overall, at least for a period of time. Again, I've talked about in the past how. That's usually the case. And then there's a normalization, right? The new normal comes in and deal flow picks up again. And, you know, you've heard me say, and there's stats out there that show this, that there's not necessarily direct correlation or even close to direct correlation between various economic factors like rising interest rates and deal flow in a way that you think there might be, right? Because again, the market and deals start to get going. But, but you know, yeah, you wouldn't expect that people to be on a bank buying spree in this environment right now. And so at least for a period of time, right? And then when you move outside the banking market, you know, again, we've been talking for a while on this podcast and I've been asking the guests about what they think the deal market's going to look like in various industries, whether it's tech or financial services or, you know, middle market companies in, in the Midwest or whatever, uh, the various guests I've had on, we've talked about various of those topics. And, you know, you know most people were cautiously optimistic the deal flow still seemed to be pretty good despite... Increase in interest rates and other economic headwinds like inflation, etc. You know, is this another factor that will cause deal flow to continue to drop because it has dropped certainly compared to the last few years. The last few years were unbelievably hot, and cost of capital has gone up. And now, if you add some risk and uncertainty to the system, you know, is it likely that deals across the board will slow? Again, I think so for a period of time. However, that does not mean that there aren't going to be great opportunities in that. In fact, that's the sort of, you know, contrast that you always see. That's the tension you always see. While, uh, you know, most people are pulling back, there's there's a few companies and people who are looking, you know, and taking advantage of those opportunities that may be fewer and far between, but but when you find them in a tough market, they could be very, 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 very lucrative, right? I read something from NAR, the National Association of Realtors, talking about the what the impact of the bank failures would be on the real estate market, and you know it was an interesting take there. And listen, you know, (laughs) it's been proven over and over again. Nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody can predict the future. But it's an interesting conversation to say, hey, well, you know, is this going to cause even more problems and uncertainty, and the real estate market also will be hit by that? There's an argument for that, however. National Association of Realtors, and maybe it's an in interest to say this, but you know, they were in this one article I read, they were talking about the fact that they think that this may cause the Fed to pause its interest rate increases. That's going to be a very interesting thing to see. I'm recording this about I'm trying to think when the if this is going to come out after the next Fed meeting or before, but any case, it's right right now the when I'm recording this, the Fed hasn't reacted. maybe we'll see around the time this comes out or a little before or after what they're going to do. But, you know, there, there's been a split in terms of the view on the, on how the Fed's been handling things. There are people who feel like it's been appropriate action to raise interest rates the way they have. And, you know, fr- from what was an artificially low environment for so long, and there's no question it was artificially low, but, you know, should you have raised it that that much? Should you have raised it that quickly? Um Some people are happy because it has had a downward effect on on inflation. Certainly inflation is not where the Fed wants it to be or any of us want it to be. So they've, previous to this, have indicated that they're likely to continue to raise rates, maybe not at as strong of a pace, but will this change their mind? Well, the National Association of Realtors was theorizing that they might've put a pause on that, which would be positive. And they actually think that mortgage rates may actually come down as a result of this. So that might stimulate some additional real estate deals. Who knows? interesting to see. Watch out for it. I think the last area I want to talk about, because, you know, we can talk about sectors and segments, but it's all speculation and also, you know, the, the same fundamental principles of the fact that there'll probably be a period of uncertainty and slow down and then a new normal are going to apply. And I think in all of the sectors, all the timing may be different on all of it. But the last thing I want to talk about is 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 psych. You know, I often talk about mindset as listeners know of this deal, you know, the mindset of a deal maker and and you know, maybe ad nauseum because I believe in it so much. But, you know, in these situations, you have other mindset things that come up, right? And you've probably seen it by your colleagues and your friends and your, you know, what people are posting online, right? There are some people when this happened. Who you know already decided that the world's going to end, so to speak. You know, it's going to be run on all the banks. The Economy's going to go to hell. We're going to be, you know, in a re- in a recession, right? Other folks, you know, will say, "Listen, the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank were pretty isolated incidents. Silicon Valley Bank made a bad bet on long term, you know, Treasuries at low rates. Blah blah blah. The bigger banks, you know, have strong balance sheets. You know, nothing to worry about. You know, people, some people are rushing to move their money out if they have above." the $250,000 limit at certain banks to try to, you know, spread it and make sure they have FDA and she did see insurance. Other people are saying, oh, come on. If you the big money center to banks too big to fail, if they bailed out the depositors on these small banks, of course the government would do it on the big banks. Plus the odds of the big banks going, you know, going under, you know, they, they, their balance sheets are strong, their capital, re, you know, requirements. They haven't made those kind of bad investments. So, but I'm speaking at it about it even more logically then a lot of people, right, think about it, right? It's just people react. And it's interesting to see what people's reactions are, whether they go into fear immediately, whether they go into negativity immediately, whether they're by default positive, whether they are more analytical and spend time really, really analyzing it as opposed to just reacting out of their gut. And how this all affects deals is that there are many, many people who are going to go into their, their, you know, their, their, their cave or their shell or you know, their their bunker or whatever you want to call it because of the fear of what's going to happen. And I'm not saying, by the way, that, you know, maybe this will cause more challenging time. I don't know the answer to that. I, if I'm guessing, I'm thinking that there's going to be some impact, but I don't think it's going to be as bad as people think. I think, you know, from what I've seen and read, I think the banking system in general is not, this is not like anywhere near 2008, for example. But either way, the point is, there's a difference between analyzing, taking some preventative, mitigating steps, being aware, you know, maybe consciously choosing to pull back if that's what you think is right. But but staying alert, staying aware, seeing what's out there versus burying your head in the sand, right? And very many people will bury their head in the sand. In part, and it's part in part because just emotionally, they can't deal with it, right? They get too worried. They get too afraid. It stresses them out too much. There are people who sleep over this kind of stuff. And then there are those, you know, who, who don't. And by, and by the way, there are those who sometimes are overly positive. Ah, oh, it's all going to be okay, whatever. And then they run themselves into trouble. But my point is the best deal makers, wherever they are on the spectrum of belief as to how much or how little this will have as an impact on the overall economy or on the overall deal market, the difference between deal makers, true deal makers are, even if they think it's, it's tough, or maybe especially if they think it's tough, or if they think it's probably gonna be okay, they're still always looking for opportunities. Right. They're still always looking for where there's going to be, you know, an opportunity, whereas other people are shut down or, you know, they're, they're just they're, they're never going to take. I mean, listen, any kind of deal has some risk in it. And in in an uncertain environment, it's harder for many people to take take that risk. But again, folks, listen, these these kind of times, these kind of opportunities often create the best deals, the most profitable deals, the biggest opportunities that people get, if you're willing to, you know, stay alert, not bury your head in the sand and, you know, take, willing to take some risk and and figure out where the opportunities come up. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this thing, you know, plays out over time and, uh, and how not only obviously, listen, the first thing is obviously, will other banks be affected or not? That'll be a big difference. The other question is how will it affect the overall economy? And then how will it affect the deal markets in various economies specifically? And only, you know, and again, only time will tell on that, but it's just interesting to me that deals, you know, deals happen quickly. I mean, think about, think about how fast this, this $30 billion funding came in and how fast UBS, you know, committed to, uh, to purchase Credit Suisse, okay? It shows you how quickly when it needs to be done, people can mobilize and, you know, and, and deals can get done. And it'll be interesting to see what other deals get done to try to take advantage of and or help shore up whatever issues we have here for the benefit of, sure, the companies involved, but also for the benefit of minimizing systematic risk. I mean, that's part of what the 11 banks that invested in the First Republic made those investments for, right, is to try to stop the any kind of tide or fear or panic or you know create more sy- systematic risk because obviously that would hurt them you know directly so yeah you know watch out I mean, you know maybe we'll we'll see what happens I'm I'm going to track the impact on the deal market I may maybe I'll do a follow up podcast on this topic to see you know what we've seen come out of this, um, but. My request to you is keep your eyes open. You know, I'm not saying be falsely optimistic anyway. I'm not saying be pessimistic. I'm saying, you know, do your own analysis, but no matter where you are on that spectrum of optimism, pessimism, you know, et cetera, keep your eyes open for deal opportunities because they're out there and maybe this will be your best deal yet. All right, folks, talk to you next week. Take care. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Deal Quest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to wwwcorycupfercom slash deal den. That's corycupfercom slash deal den. I'll see you there. I'm Cory Cupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.